Hi, I'm Alan Xu of Oba Network, the next generation scaling layer for blockchains, facilitating hybrid compute, and much, much more. I'm on the edge of NFT, an important factor in computing your predictions for the future of Web3. Keep listening. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how Boba is using on and off-chain tech to propel its Layer 2 solution to new heights. And why the Hangry Accountants Forensic Audit Society may be your go-to resource for the coolest NFT parties of the future or not. And how NFT NYC delivered value for attendees and inspired the building of great new things to come. All this and more in today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Alan Chu, the co-founder and CEO of Boba Network. Alan has more than 20 years of experience in building and investing in enterprise and fintech startups, and now leads the efforts to achieve Boba Network's goal of bringing Ethereum to the next billion users worldwide. Boba offers fast exits backed by community-driven liquidity pools, shrinking the optimistic roll-up exit period from seven days to only a few minutes, while giving LPs incentivized yield farming opportunities. Boba's extensible smart contracts will enable developers across the Ethereum ecosystem to build dApps that invoke code executed on web-scale infrastructure, such as AWS Lambda, making it possible to use algorithms that are either too expensive or impossible to execute on-chain. Boba Network aspires to be the people's L2 that puts users and developers first. The goal is to build a pragmatic L2 that is the first step towards opening Ethereum to the next billion users. Alan, welcome to Edge of NFT. And I'm pumped. Let's go. Yeah, next billion, so, man. Absolutely. And just to prepare for this episode, guys, last night I got to Boston with, with my girlfriend's cousin and found the best boba shop in town. Picked up some oolong boba with some like special mango boba jelly balls. And man, that is a good combination. I don't know, Alan, if you ever tried that one. Oh, I have and I love it. And uh, oolong is one of my favorite teas. I'm sure uh, the oolong swap team would appreciate it too. I got my first cease and desist as a result of trying to serve boba tea on a food truck with uh, summer rolls. And we called it bubble wrap. And freaking bubble wrap <laughs> tracked us down on Twitter, you know, the company, and tried to shut us down, man. It's like, guys, no one's confusing, you know, wrapping, you know, bubbles <laughs> and, and, and logistics with freaking bubble tea. But yeah, we got shut down on that one. So, oh my gosh, it missed happened. opportunity on their part. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got to think big. And certainly you guys are doing that at Boba Allen. And, you know, it's a really multifaceted and massive vision that we're, we're talking about here and excited to unpack it for the show. And it's certainly not like other farming projects. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about your origin story and how all of this came to be. Well, how this came to be. First of all, I came from a distributed systems background. I studied electrical engineering and computer science, worked on two distributed systems startups that both had a successful exit. 
So when blockchains came along, by then I had uh, moved into to the venture space and became an investor. But I felt that I had to jump in and do something in this space because the permissionless nature of blockchains just changes the game and takes the whole distributed system space into to a whole new whole new level by introducing decentralization. And so eventually, a few years ago, partnered up with Jan Laporte, a professor from Stanford Engineering, to start our company, Enya, to start exploring applications for blockchain and some of the more advanced cryptographic techniques. And a couple of years later, so after DeFi summer happened and we saw a lot of congestion on Ethereum, we thought that, well, obviously, the infrastructure is not scalable enough to keep up with the demand created yet. And Think about it. DeFi summer, it was really just all crypto natives doing transactions on Ethereum. And that alone was enough to, to drive gas fees to, to a pretty high level. So what about the rest of the world? And if you didn't come in early enough, it was just too expensive for, for normal people to participate. And that didn't feel fair to us. So we thought that, well, to solve this problem fundamentally, we've got to increase the compute capacity of the underlying decentralized infrastructure. Now, then, then on top of that, how do we bring the benefits of crypto to everybody around the planet. We really need to have all the brightest minds, the brightest developers join the Web3 movement. But you know, one of the, the barriers to entry for a developer is how little they can actually do in a smart contract. You can only perform basic computations. You can't even want machine learning. Forget about it. If you're a top engineer at Google, things are jumping to Web3, you're talking about it. And then you take a look, you start learning what it takes to build Web3 applications. And you're like, all of these advances in computer science that I've taken for granted for the last 20 years, I'm going to throw them all away. Um, and like that's just not going to fly. So we decided, well, we needed to not just scale Ethereum and scale blockchains in general. We also needed to really connect the Web3 world with the Web2 world because some of the, the more advanced algorithms like machine learning, they're just impractical to run on chain. So there has to be an easy way to enable this level of interoperability between the two worlds so that as a developer, you can build one unified application, but on the back end, choose what flows you want to deploy on a decentralized infrastructure, Web3, versus what you want to deploy on a Web2 infrastructure. And that's what gave rise to the idea of hybrid compute, which we launched on Boba Network in March this year. And that's that's fascinating. And just a clarifying question for you, Alan. When did like NFTs and sort of that sort of those infrastructure needs come into your line of thinking as you're building out Boba? Well, certainly then when, when NFT started taking off, we've all seen these crazy mints, right? Where gas would go astronomical during those short periods of time. And that meant these NFTs would only be accessible to the whales of the world. And again, that didn't seem like fair to us. So we wanted to make sure we were able to we would build infrastructure that would increase the supply of compute capacities of blockchains so that future mints won't suffer from the same problem. I mean, spending a gigantic amount of, of ETH on gas is just wasteful, period. So we have to solve that problem. And we at Boba solved that by scaling Ethereum. And now we have just recently announced our multi-chain strategy. We're taking our technology and helping other layer one partners scale as well. And the overall goal is really to improve accessibility to crypto and broadening it to the point where everyone on the planet can benefit from. 
Yeah, dude. Well, y- y'all are well on your way to doing that. It's exciting stuff. And I wanted to take a minute to and level up like to the 30,000 foot view for some of our listeners who are on the end of the spectrum where they're just really starting to understand some of the terminology we're using here, some of the, the stuff that, that really is central to what you're doing, but maybe they don't fully understand. And that's like L2. Could you explain to folks here that aren't familiar with what you mean when you talk about L2 and then how that influences some of the basic inner workings of BOBA? That's a great point. L2 in general refers to this whole category of solutions that make the underlying blockchains generally referred to as L1s faster, cheaper, more scalable. And amongst all the different layer ones, Ethereum was the first to become really popular. And it's also the first to run into a lot of congestion issues, which is why as a user of Ethereum, you'll see gas fees go up really significantly when, when certain applications take off in transaction volume. And so that gave rise to, to a lot of innovation to figure out, right, how do we actually scale these layer ones, such as Ethereum, so that gas fees would come down? And so there are different layer two solutions by now, but layer two or L2 generally refers to, to efforts in scaling blockchains. And Boba Network is an optimistic rollup, which is one form of layer two. And we scale the underlying blockchain, such as Ethereum, by separating execution of transactions from settlement of transactions, meaning instead of replicating the same computations over and over again across the entire Ethereum network, we'll perform the computations on layer two, right? We'll do them once, and then we'll store enough data back to Ethereum to prove that we've actually processed these transactions honestly in the way that they expected so that any third-party verifiers who come in and, and check and make sure that as layer two, even though we have centralized execution, we haven't done anything fraudulent. And we store enough data into Ethereum as a settlement layer, such that even if over network were to disappear tomorrow, you can still recreate the state of the network from the data that we have stored on Ethereum and therefore recover your funds. So because of the nature of layer two solutions like Boba Network, the, the ability for users to recover their funds, even if we went away, that's why we say we inherit the security of Ethereum, because you're not dependent on any individual layer two solutions own consensus protocol for the security of your assets. You're actually still benefiting from Ethereum's security. There it is. That's L2, folks. Uh, thank you, Alan, for the explanation. That's <laughs> some bad jokes about basically asking Siri for your seed phrase, but uh, we're not gonna, <laughs> not gonna say it with enough ex- executive uh, authority here that she might actually do it. <laughs> all, right. Um, all right, so we talk about hybrid commute, computing uh, with Boba. It's one of your central elements, you know, lower gas fees, faster transactions. Can you tell us more about hybrid computing in the NFT space? Yeah, so at a high level, what hybrid computing enables is let's say you're a developer writing a smart contract. You can actually embed an API call in the middle of your smart contract and call an external API. It could be a Twitter API or your own API where you you know you run a machine learning model behind it. Where it becomes interesting with NFTs is you can like NFT is a smart contract at the end of the day, right? You can you can actually embed API calls that that call your off-chain gaming engine. So if you're a game developer, you want to deploy on-chain entities that are dynamically synced with your gaming engine, you can now do that, right, through Boba. You can also sync your NFTs with off-chain data. It could be you know, today's weather or you know, how, 
how certain sports teams are doing. It really opens up the design space for developers to figure out, wow, now that I can design NFTs that can change based on off-chain information, what could I do? It's limitless. The sky's the limit. Right. And so you, you kind of mentioned this earlier. I'd love to wrap my head around it a little bit more deeply. So, you know, you're, you're talking about, say, using something like AI or, you know, whatever, some genetic algorithms or something, engaging that with an NFT. We often talk about NFTs being like a little supercomputer. But I think in a sense, what you're saying is that although some of those capacities are there for computing using an NFT, it can't get too complex. Is that kind of what you're saying? And that by having a different layer using a hybrid layer, we can do a lot more and not have it sort of what it, maybe it would clog up the system or something like that? No, exactly. You can do a lot more with hybrid compute because ultimately the compute capacity on chain is always going to be more limited than in the Web2 world because of the overhead of decentralization. Now, there are certain things that you definitely want, want to decentralize, but there are other things where if you're executing a machine learning model to figure out the valuation of an NFT that you want to borrow against, you don't have to run that model on-chain. In fact, it's impractical to do that, but you can run that off-chain and call that from your smart contract. Now, you can also, like Web3 games, the gaming engines, they're not going to be running on-chain. They will be running off-chain. But if you want to synchronize your NFTs with the latest state of gameplay from the gaming engine, hybrid compute gives you an easy way to make that happen. It's like one line of code, the responses from your calls come back within the same transaction. So it's very easy for developers to adopt. Yeah, very fascinating stuff. I mean, I've been excited, you know, since the since the emergence of Web 2 about all the capacities to mine and visualize like publicly available data as it changes. You know, we were just in New York City for NFT NYC and they have like the city bikes, right? And I remember being fascinated with that they allowed some of that data out there that you could look through and you could see the different paths people were taking and the most highly trafficked areas and stuff like that. Um, and doing fun stuff with NFTs with that kind of data, it seems like that's, that's kind of what's possible. It's kind of exciting. Yeah, there's a lot you can do. Connecting your phone to the cloud. Yeah, I guess, you know, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into NFT bridging, moving between layer one and layer two. But um, would love for you to tell us um, what that would look like. And, and also just thinking a little bit more about some of the more advanced use cases of NFTs that we we haven't seen yet and what, what Boba could do to impact those. When I think about like at NFTLA, we had a panel on video streaming. Right. And there's all these music NFT projects. You mentioned gaming, and I'm just curious if you can kind of fold other use cases into this conversation about the bridging possibilities. Yeah, no, bridging is a great use case of Boba. So here's the thing, right? When you mint a new NFT, you don't really know how valuable these, that, that NFT is going to be down the road, but you've already paid the, the gas fees to mint it up front. And if you're doing that on Ethereum, it's pretty expensive. But on the other hand, most of the NFT trading activities still happen on Ethereum. It's the largest market. So people are like, well, then I'm stuck. I have to do things on Ethereum, right? But with the introduction of Boba in our NFT bridge, you can actually have the best of both worlds. You can mint your NFTs on Boba and enjoy the low minting fees. And then only bridge a subset of the NFTs that you want to sell back to Ethereum layer one and enjoy the, the much higher level of liquidity over there. And so you only need to incur Ethereum gas fees when you want to sell your NFTs 
and, and only for those that you want to sell or trade, as opposed to paying those high gas fees for everything that you want to mint. Is, so the, cost, the, is the cost to, to bridge over, is that also pretty nominal on the initial bridging before you sell them? Well, anytime you touch Ethereum, you're going to pay more gas than if you're just staying on Boba. So when you bridge, yes, you need to pay a little bit more fees, but you control the timing of your of when you want to bridge your NFTs over from Boba back to Ethereum. And so you can avoid those high gas fees, period. You're not competing with everybody in your, else in the world during the initial mix. Yeah, and, and for those folks that are listening, there's actually even like sites that tell you the lowest time of day that to to do that. And you can sort of, you know, you can kind of plan ahead, right? Just so you don't have to stress about it so much in that moment. So that makes sense. And then like, what about some of the more advanced use cases for NFTs? Like we're seeing with video streaming and and media and whatnot. Is that similar to like a gaming use case or are, are there some nuances there? What are the video streaming use cases that you have in mind? I'm curious, actually. Like, for example, you know, where there's a, a live stream, per se, where that, that live stream is created as an NFT or a TV show as an NFT that they're dropping some kind of NFTs in, in real time, those types of things. Got it. Yeah, I think that there's a lot we, we can play with here, especially with, with Boba's hybrid compute. For example, you can actually reward your your community members based on off-chain actions. And you can use hybrid computer call off-chain APIs and see if someone has done something on Twitter or wherever and reward them with NFT drops. You can also check out how certain music is or podcast is doing on Spotify and then have on-chain actions that are triggered by the performance of these different podcasts or, or songs on, on Spotify. So this in- integration and inter- interoperability between what happens on-chain and what happens in the off-chain world really has a lot of benefits and, and we can create a lot more uh, interesting applications. And we're just talking about some of the ideas that have come up in the developer community that has started playing around with hybrid compute. There's a lot more that's, that, that will be invented yeah. down the road. Yeah, I think you answered my question, by the way. Sorry if I didn't ask as directly as I, I could have. It's just there's all these converging technologies that go beyond what we even are doing today with NFTs. And, and that, that ability to sort of differentiate between the on-chain world and the off-chain world and connect those two together is a very powerful concept. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of powerful, like AWS Lambda, right? Web scale infrastructure, being able to deploy that as part of the Boba network. Talk to us about that a little bit. Like, what does that mean for users of the Boba network? Talk to us about the features of it that really help with execution. Yeah, what that means is as a developer, you now have a lot more compute power at your disposal. And what that means for users is that they will start seeing much more interactive and interesting Web3 applications. And just to you know, give, give a couple of examples, there's a team working on an NFT lending protocol, right? So if you have a, a collection of NFTs that are pretty valuable, you want to use them as collateral to borrow against, well, the protocol needs to know, like, well, how, how, how much are these worth? And what this team has done is they've developed a data-driven machine learning-based model to put a valuation on NFTs. Now, that kind of model you can never run on chain. What they would do is deploy that model on AWS and have the on chain protocol invoke that model to figure out, all right, if someone wants to borrow against a certain piece of NFT, 
how much is that worth? That model spits up a spits out a number, and the protocol can decide how much of that do they want to loan against. Right? That's something that you couldn't do otherwise. And there's just so much more in a De- in a DeFi space. For example, there's this emerging trend of creating on-chain DeFi protocols that are tied to real-world assets, and of course, that requires a protocol to have a way to find out from the off-chain world, well, how are these assets actually performing? Like, is a particular shopping center actually throwing off the kind of cash flow that they, they, they say they are? How do you actually verify that? And how that variation in, in cash flow from month to month changes the on-chain yield for that protocol? That's something that is that we've, we've seen a number of teams working on, and it can be enabled by hybrid compute very easily on mobile network. Right. Yeah, it feels like there's almost like a purist mentality where in some cases a project will only look for solutions that are built on the blockchain, only Web3 solutions and not looking to other solutions that are out there in the world to help with processing power, data storage and so on. And so what you're doing with AWS Lambda and powerful algorithms are giving people that access on the development side and the user side. I think it's a, a good example for folks to look at for how do you take your company to the next level? How do you take your services, your product, your offering to the next level? Don't ignore existing technologies that are out there that weren't necessarily built for Web3, but are completely available to it. And note that, yes, in time, uh, most things will move toward a world of decentralization, blockchain, Web3. But just because they're not there doesn't mean you don't tap into that power, right? So very cool, very interesting use cases. To respond to what uh, Jeff has just said, I think it's going to be part of the natural evolution of Web3 to have more and more points of interoperability with the Web2 world, with the physical world. Look at how the original web e-commerce movement grew up and look at how mobile has grown. Initially, it was a niche in its own, own special corner of the world. But eventually, once you've grown large enough and you're offering enough utility, then you start integrating with the physical world. Like when the iPhone was first developed, I don't think anyone saw the coming of Uber, right? Turning this phone into a, almost like a remote control for your for your physical world where you can summon up a car, summon up a meal. And I think that's how Web3 is going to be as well. As we grow as a movement, as a community, increasingly, there will be applications and products being built that are integrated with the Web2 world, with the physical world. And it's a sign of success. Totally agree. Yeah, that's great. You know, when COVID hit, some sharp friends of mine did this exercise that I thought was really interesting. And it was imagining the the second, third, fourth order effects of COVID, right? And I think you could do that with some of these Web3 things like, you know, again, first order effect, everybody's at home. Second order effect, they can't go to the gym, you know, and then the third order effect is either they start to work out outside one or they start to gain weight. Right. And then you can see there's like different economic responses to all these different things. And I think that, you know, again, when you talk about Uber growing out of the the mobile development revolution, you can do similar thought experiments about Web3 and NFTs and things like that. It's uh, pretty cool. Okay, so you guys are very collaborative and in, in building this this network here and, and and you really enjoy that aspect of it. I could see what kind of partnerships are you guys looking at moving forward here? Well, so first of all, we have just announced our multi-chain strategy and partnering with Phantom and Moonbeam to help those networks scale. We're also in discussions with other additional layer one partners as well, so that their developers could benefit from 
from Bulba, especially from our hybrid compute capability. So in terms of partnership, definitely wanting, we would like to speak with more and more layer one partners and help more developers level up their applications. So that's our top priority. We're also increasingly focused on, on gaming because games tend to generate a lot of transactions, which then lead to network congestion. And it's something that we are well positioned to help solve. And so we've been speaking with game developers who game developers who are interested in adopting Boba. They may or may not be building on Ethereum and given a multi-string strategy that frankly doesn't matter, will go wherever they are. And game developers also are very familiar with the need for to tap into off-chain compute capacity in order to deliver a satisfying experience for the gamers. So as soon as they hear about hybrid computing, immediately grok the significance of it. And so they've become some of the first adopters of our hybrid compute technology. Yeah, I think it's a nonstop progress here and yeah, quite a, a future <laughs> at hand, man. Super excited. I wanted to ask one quick thing just before we got over to your question. And that was just the impact of kind of ETH 2.0. Like, how does that influence your thinking or how Boba would operate going from proof of work to proof of stake? It doesn't really change our operations of then some of the, the uh, technical work that we need to do, such as switching to a different test net. But by and large, we're very excited about this switch to proof of stake because it's going to, it's going to reduce the energy consumption profile of Ethereum itself, which is great for the planet. It also removes some of the barriers to, barriers to adoption to folks who have been concerned about Ethereum's energy consumption. So that's great for the entire ecosystem. Further down the road, when we're talking about shorting, that is great for all of us in the layer two space because the more compute capacity available on layer one and the cheaper transactions become on layer one, layer twos will just ride down the cost curve accordingly and become even more affordable and more accessible to more users around the world. So we're excited for, for the changes that are to come and can't, frankly can't wait for them to happen soon, uh, fast enough. Right on. Yeah, that, that's exciting. And um uh, scoping out your website, you guys have a really uh, easy uh, grant program, which is great. You, you, you want to encourage people to try new things and and use the technology that you're building. You know, on that note, we talked sort of about the far-reaching future, and we've talked about some of the sort of puts and takes around sort of the type of infrastructure demands you're building on. I'd love to learn more specifics in terms of what's on your roadmap, say, the next 6, 12 months or so. Well, there's a lot on our roadmap. Let me just touch on the highlights. One of them is actually figuring out how to decentralize the sequencer uh, to improve the robustness of the network and to enable um, the rest of the ecosystem to participate in the operations on the network. Another area of, of research that we are focused on is evolving our roll-up architecture to a next-generation architecture that uses zero-knowledge proof for validity proving. And that's a pretty significant technical undertaking. But at the same time, we believe that the benefits are uh, very much worthwhile because it, it completely eliminates the exit window. We don't have to work around it. We don't have to rely on liquidity pools to provide workarounds for, for individual users. And that is going to require quite a bit of engineering resources. But we have already started investing in that area. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio. 
where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. Alan, one of the things we like to ask folks about is like their inspirations. You know, we, we draw inspiration from so many different places. Other than the stuff we talked about today, what inspires you, man? What other projects in this space or programs or people are really uh, inspiring you these days? I'm inspired by people who stay true to the values and the mission in a bear market, right? When we're in a bull market, you know, it's easy to, to be a saint because money is just flowing in to you. But when times are tough and you got to make tough trade-offs, that's when your true values are getting tested. So I admire the people who are staying true to the ethos of decentralization, who are still focused on the bigger picture of how do we make this world, our financial system, a, a better one, one that is more inclusive, one that serves more and more people around the world rather than excluding folks from access to financial resources. So these are the folks that I admire to and would love to partner with. Hard to deny the importance there of us staying the course and having seen, you know, various downturns in the space, right? This is where the rubber meets the road, right? We have a coaling process that we're in right now. And the folks that stick to their guns will come out the other side in all likelihood and hopefully unscathed. So, Alan, we appreciate you sharing all this info on Boba Network. And there's a lot more for that, you know, where we just left things off. But we do want to transition for a moment to talk to you about some stuff uh, from a personal perspective. It's a section that we call Edge Quick Hitters. It's 10 questions that are built to get to know you a little bit better. Looking for short, single, or few word answers, but we may dive in a little further depending on, on what we hear. You ready to jump in on these things? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Question number one, what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? So I remember buying this like novel series that I was really addicted to. And the reason I remember is because I used my first scholarship check to buy those novels. So <laughs> it was memorable. Beautiful. What's the age there? I was like 11. <laughs> awesome. Right. Question number two. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Selling. That one's harder. I remember my first job, I guess, selling my time would be... My first job was just delivering newspaper, doing these morning paper routes. 
Nice. Were you rocking a bike or what was your method of getting around? No, I was just walking because like it was just going from house to house. It was mm. the most popular paper in my city. So almost everyone was a subscriber. Oh, that makes right. it easy. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. What was that video game? It was like a Nintendo game where you threw the papers and... Oh, yeah, I remember that. Paper, yeah. Paper, Paper Boy. Paper Boy. Yeah. yeah. It was that just was called Paper Boy. Boy. Dude, what a great game. I've not thought of that probably yeah. since the last time I played the damn thing. But yeah. it was solid. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to play that a little bit. <laughs> I bet there's like a, a ghost version of that on, you know, that Google. No doubt. That you, we know what Ethan's going to be doing after the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's got all the elements of all the addictive games, you know, the iPhone games, right? Like the OG, like 8-bit ones. Anyway, nice. Good callback. There needs to be a full version of that. <laughs> there's got to be. Question number three. What is the most recent thing you purchased? I have to say coffee. That's a go-to. Anything special we should know about? You have, uh, you have coffee snob? You have a special brand? I like cold brew and I also like latte with oat milk. Yeah, these are my two go-to. Solid. Question number four. What is the most recent thing you sold? Most recent thing I sold, I guess I sold some stock and tokens in Q4 last year. Wow. Okay. Nice. Well, that's a good sale at a nice valuation. <laughs> awesome. So uh, question number five, what is your most prized possession? My time. I know it's when I saw this question, I started thinking through everything I have, but nothing is more valuable than time. Yeah. Don't get any more valuable than that, man. We agree. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience that's currently for sale, what would that be? It's just keep getting harder. These questions, man. What would I oh, yeah. Buy? Differential equations is, uh, is coming up next, buddy. <laughs> to the one where you have to, to choose between two people's lives. <laughs> I <laughs> I have everything I need in life to be honest. I think I would buy I would go on an excursion to Antarctica. I would buy that experience to really go to the extremes of the world to see the beauty of this world. It's also a great reminder for for me and for all of us how precious and also fragile this world is. I was recently in Alaska with my parents and they visited a few years ago and they said it's it's really sad to see how much the glaciers have retreated in, even in just a few years. And the contrast was really stark. Yeah, so I think it it helps you to really just get out here, uh, get out there and see see the world in its most pristine condition because these conditions don't last and we've got to do everything we can to help preserve it. I dig the message, man. Question number seven, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I'd say resilience. I'm a pretty resilient guy. It's, yeah, this is impossible to keep it down. Yeah, man. That's one of those ones, dealing with adversity, finding ways to overcome, keep charging forward. I try to pass that on to my uh, son. We talk about it all the time. Big one. Flip side, Alan, question eight. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Does hangry count as a personality trait? Sure, sure, man. Yeah. I love that answer. That is so true. I can be very hangry at times. And I wish I was like one of those, you know, Buddhist monks that could just like fast for like four days, you know? I'm pretty terrible when I'm hangry. I don't like myself when I'm hangry. So I don't wish to pass that on. We should add that to our podcast prep list. Make sure you get a nice meal uh, before <laughs> the show so you're at your happiest. Yeah, good note. Let's note that. Very cool. All right, a little bit easier, Alan. Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? 
it's pretty boring. I spoke with our accountant. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> boring topic. We were just doing some accounting ourselves. Question no, 10, last no, one. No offense oh, to your oh, accountants. Oh. <laughs> today must be accounting day. I was also doing some accounting. <laughs> ah, month that is coming up. What are you going to do? Uh, last one. Question 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Well, I'm going to go grab lunch after this podcast. And it's a late lunch. So speaking of hangry, I should really eat my advice. We won't keep you around too much longer. (laughs) Get a Snickers, brother. Just a couple more minutes left, but that is Edge Quick Hitters. We appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for sharing with us. Ethan, hey, word on the street is we got some uh, hot, hot, hot topics to discuss. Well, uh, for this week's hot topics, we're going to try something a little bit different. We're going to do something where we do accounting while hangry. Are you ready, guys? I've got some spreadsheets to pull up. (laughs) There's right. nothing worse than <laughs> I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> oh my God, that sounds like a nightmare. Okay, so the headline here is formerly rich NFT buyers party through the pain. This is an article from TechCrunch. You know, just kind of reflecting on the fact that the markets have dropped considerably. And, you know, at the same time, there's holders of these various NFT collections who've been, you know, very excited about them. And You know, and they're still actually doing some interesting things. Let's see here. NFT World's version of survival looks a little different here. At an event this week, the Board Ape Yacht Club hosted a festival with Future, LCD Sound System, and Amy Schumer performing. Tame and Paula Henlide, Kevin Rose's Moonbirds event, where token holders could get owl tattoos on site. The NYPD busted up a token-gated, oh, some token-gated NFT parties. And, you know, a lot of this happened during NFT NYC week here that we just finished up. Yeah, interesting stuff here. I guess I'll read out the rest of this paragraph from TechCrunch. A project, and I don't, I want to know more of this story. A project hired dozens of protesters holding up signs saying God hates NFTs (laughs) to stand outside their event, which sounds like an interesting idea. And uh, one, I didn't hear about this until now. One NFT startup hired a Snoop Dogg impersonator, Dupe Snog to walk around their event as a tacit pseudo endorsement. So I guess these folks can't help but have some fun here. Yeah, you know, there's definitely a little bit more modesty when it came to a lot of the parties and, and how they did things. But and I guess we'll we'll talk about this a little bit more. But one of the things that I thought was really cool was um, how Cool Cats um, and the, the Goblin crew open up their events to the to everyone and you know in fact we participated in a few events that were open to everyone as well you didn't have to have an nft new york pass and you know as much as this there's this like interesting dynamic around exclusive partnerships and memberships and participation i think people wake up during a beer market and say wait we, we probably need to like expand our, our, our reach a little bit more. We got to let more people know about all the cool things we're doing because eventually the cool club, you know, might shrink and, and then there's no one left to be cool with. 
Yeah, man. Like, and I know like the article is kind of sensationalist or whatever, you know, formerly rich NFT people partying. What they missed there with that is, is it's not party, you know, partying to take the pain away or whatever. When you really look at what's happening there. And again, NFT NYC, it's a reflection of New York, right? The hustle, the bustle of New York, everybody coming together, making stuff happen. There's a little bit of chaos, a little bit of, you know, pizzazz, like all that stuff coming together. That's why it works. It's New York, right? And that's, that's what New York is all about. But in the end, like people were there talking about building the relationships that were were being built, the relationships that were formed, the information that was being shared, ideas that were were coming to life. Like almost universally, we were talking to people that were all about you know building. It wasn't about oh I lost out on this or I lost out on that or what, what about the prices on this. It's like nah, here's what we're focused on. Here's why. Here's how we're going to do it. That to me like that was the cool thing about it, and I feel like that that article misses that. It feels very different to me than it felt in, you know, 2018, you know, when, when, you know, the last crypto winter hit, it just feels different, man. People are building in different ways. There's real value being created. The infrastructure is there, like web three is here and it's just so dang early. So that's what NFT NYC at the highest level to me was, I wasn't about, you know, partying your sorrows away, right? It was about, Hey dude, we're all here. Let's continue to build and make cool shit happen. So that's what I took from. Yeah, a follow up on that. I mean, you know, we touched upon this briefly. We talked about, you know, Bill Gates continuing to diss NFTs that, you know, a lot of these collections are in essence networking groups that are, you know, probably, you know, orders of magnitude better than some of the the networking groups that exist out there, you know, in terms of, you know, there's some where you get together with a bunch of folks in relatively standard industries and just give each other referrals. And it's very, you know, kind of stayed and dry and things like that. It's very interesting to see what's going on. Like you said, Jeff, these parties, as it were, it's a place where people want to be in a fun, exciting environment. But a lot of times they're doing business and, you know, coming up with great ideas and making them happen. It's a really great point. I think there's one other thing that I found interesting. You know, it's, it's not as obvious to kind of look at these assets, you'd be it Ethereum, Bitcoin, NFTs, uh, sort of flip the perspective on its head a little bit. So one thing that I've noticed is if you look at the relative value in Ethereum, I'm getting offers on NFTs for more Ethereum than I used to get offers for, right? And I think that's that's actually quite interesting because that's a case to say that the NFTs themselves are actually holding a certain amount of value, you know, despite the fluctuations and, you know, various currencies currencies be at the dollar, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and that when you hold an asset that, for example, has some type of utility, maybe it's a ticket to an event or like we said, a a club, you know, or a networking group, then the value in that can actually hold steady regardless of the underlying asset that you purchase it in. Yeah. If you're long Ethereum, that makes it a, you know, some of these decisions kind of easy, right? You hold Mm -hmm. or sell based on the price point that uh, that you're seeing there, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know, Alan, what do you think? No, definitely. And I think the NFT space is, is pretty broad. There are so many different types of NFTs. Some of them are, are useless, but some many of them are uh, quite useful. And it's part of the course of, of figuring out how new technologies are going to be used. And I think we're well on our way in finding out uh, real utility for, for NFTs. 
And um, I, I think it's super. It's, it's just healthy to see so many different developers trying different things with these new technologies. And in terms of partying, look, every industry has conferences, and conferences are always attached to parties. It's not unique to to the crypto or NFT space. Even industries as staid as you know commercial printing or accounting and financial reporting, there are still parties that go on. They just don't get reported because they they're not they don't draw as many clicks. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, and honestly, those parties aren't really as fun, maybe because the topics aren't aren't as fun. I think one thing that's made parties part of the Web3 space has just been people really enjoy hanging out with each other and they want to do it longer than just during the day. But another reason for all these parties, of course, there's a lot of projects and there's a lot going on. You have to, you know, differentiate yourselves from everyone else in the space and, and do cool things. And and yeah, I think it, there's an opportunity there to find more ways to bring people together during the day. We did a, a live podcast, which was kind of fun. Um, and we did like a rooftop event that was more casual. But yeah, I, I think, you know, it's so easy to take these these threads and pull them and sort of make them appear to be something they're not too. For sure. I mean, and we think you, you mentioned it, Josh, a few of the things that we did out there. And so we had we had a full complement, Alan, of our team on the ground out there doing all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, we have some kind of big takeaways in here. I know, Ethan, if you want to hit the highlights on those, man, but these are some really great takeaways, I think, from, from us collectively based on our activities. Yeah. Yeah. But before we get to that, we're ripping on accountants here. I just had one more NFT collection idea. It's the Hangry Accountants Forensic Audit Club. So look out for that in the near future. Those parties are going to be a blast. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's give a little bit of recap on NFT NYC. So hold on. Did you write that down or did you actually just go off the top? I was putting it together over the okay. minute here. So I okay, guess I it, was in, it was going on in my head. But yeah, I'm glad I I could actually say that out loud. <laughs> there's a there's a DAO I'm sure that's going to uh, take you up. There's an accounting DAO nice. forming that's going to yes. take you up on that, that naming be, suggestion. It's going to be lovely. See where you started, Alan. <laughs> All right, love um, it. Which is an improv on it. <laughs> All right, so yeah, let's take some takeaways from NFT NYC. I wrote a couple down. We could riff on this a little bit. Of course, we've got the insider track on NFT LA 2023, which we announced. Um, and I think that's, you know, relevant to talk about for NFT NYC. We officially made the announcement. Um, and we while we were there, we continued to great, get great feedback on NFT LA 2022. Um, we've, we've heard from many that were excited to join us, including sponsors, speakers, attendees, all, all really high caliber quality people. I met a guy who said, you know, NFT LA 2022 changed his life. You know, he met a partner, started a project and got a lot of other great feedback. We got some constructive feedback from some folks as well, we'll be fully honest. <laughs> um, but you know, we're really happy to be able to hear from people and be able to address those things. We're already in meetings and talks to make a 2023 you know, orders of magnitude better now. Yeah, yeah, I think... So the coolest thing for me always is talking to someone. Someone comes up, he was like talking about, you know, NFT LA and they were pumped about it and telling you experiences like what you mentioned, Ethan, or other things that they dug about it. The way that we uh, interwove art 
and entertainment and sports into the event. It was just part of the DNA of the event because it's part of the DNA of the city. We were talking before about the hustle and bustle of New York. Well, in LA, it's a little bit different. The vibes are different. It's more chill vibes. It's more vibes uh, built around you know, kind of hanging out in an environment where it's less FOMO and more just chilling with your friends. There's definitely art and entertainment and sports interwoven into every aspect of Los Angeles. I mean, there's showbiz, right? And it's part of it. These are all the elements in the DNA of NFTLA. And I think we integrated well last year. We want to build upon heading into next year. And it's cool to hear people talk about it and be like, yeah, I dug it and here's why. Not even knowing we had anything to do with the event. I mean, we put our blood and sweat and tears into the damn thing. And so that's that's the best reward, you know, of all, right? When people give you that feedback. And again, recommendations for how to take it to the next level next year as well, because they're always, always welcome. So, So yeah, very cool NFTLA. 2023, March 20th to the 23rd, right? 2023.nftla.live, right? That's the whitelist. Yeah. Al- Alan, I know you, you weren't able to make it to NFT NYC, correct? No, I wasn't there. Uh, have you heard some buzz though from afar? I'm curious what it looks like from a distance. Uh, anything from your team? You know, not, not too different than what, what you described. I, I'm most curious about what people are still building on, um, less about you know, who shows up at what parties. And uh, there's still a lot of builders and they, they are focused on the long-term and not, not really perturbed by the short-term turbulence. Yeah, on that point, I learned some really cool stuff that I didn't know about what's going on in, in the building side. Shout out to the team at Magic Link. They had a big sponsorship at NFT New York. No idea about Magic Link. Did you know about Magic Link, Alan? No. So they have a email, like pretty much their whole thing is with this magic link, you can create a wallet and be onboarded to a project and pay for it with a credit card. So it basically, and then in the background, you create a wallet. These guys came out of nowhere. They were trying to solve the problem of how do I get my grandma to have a wallet? And they figured it out. So that was some building that's been going on and they launched in a meaningful way and really enjoying to get getting to know they're doing better. Josh was now. I know this could be a police have project. Was that the guy that we met on the sidewalk who had like a kind of a credit card machine, or was that a different project? No, nope, that's another one. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, uh, that's another cool project that maybe we'll collaborate with. We'll give him a shout out since since Ethan mentioned him, so that people are curious. It's Amer Wallet, A M M E R Wallet, and this is a credit card tied to your wallet, tied to your crypto. This guy came out of Zug and. Baron Davis and him are buddies now and doing some cool stuff together. Um, I may have gotten some Barons along the way, which is pretty exciting. I don't know what I can buy with those Barons, but I'll figure it out at some point. Hopefully I can at least like, you know, get a ticket to one of his basketball games or something like that. He does at the complex in LA, but another cool example of building. And there's so many more examples of, of people building for the future. So I really enjoyed learning about those projects at NFT New York. And there's massive amounts of infrastructure projects that are being built right now during this um, downturn. So Alan, I think you would have found what you were looking for there. And um, those were some of the most interesting conversations I had. Yeah, that's why we, we sponsored ETH New York and their teams building on Boba ETH New York. I know one of them is actually building uh, from MIT. They're building a new NFT marketplace. That uses hybrid compute. So super excited what what they're uh, working on. And as soon as I find out when they have deployed on the network, I'll let you guys know. 
Hey, that's awesome, man. Please do. And also, I, there were a couple other points we wanted to hit to highlight, I think, from our experience out there. Eve, you got a couple others? Yeah, for sure. You know, on the back of what we're talking about building, we were able to co-host an event uh, featuring Animoca brands and, and the crowd they wanted to bring together there, which happened to be quite a large crowd of people that wanted to attend and really quality people. So we hosted this kind of Animoca brands, friends and family event. And, you know, what we got out of that is that particularly there, you know, not to speak for them, this is sort of in our words, regrouping, revaluing, getting ready to reach even higher. And uh, that party or event that we hosted an afternoon there in, in NYC, it was also sponsored by Certic and Anti-Fund. And we really had an enthusiastic crowd there, afternoon rooftop event. And I would say great connections were made all around. And, and I I'd say inspiration was a theme of the moment. We had each of the uh, sponsoring parties put a representative up to chat for a minute and everyone had something really great to say about inspiration and, and, and as we said, building moving forward. Yeah, for sure. Like that whole group, I don't know, Alan, do you spend you know much time following the, the happenings on the Animoca brand side of the house? I check in about once every couple of months. Yeah, I tell you, it's there. Yeah, talk about all the guys that are kind of in the middle of it, right? And have this consistent... DNA, man. When you talk to almost anybody from that organization, you feel the same feeling. And it's just that they're rowing in the same direction, really built all about community and advancing the ball for Web3. It, dude, like so cool to see so many people from that ecosystem all hanging out together in real life. Like, you know, it's just like the vibe was like so cool. Um, the conversations were great. You could see the, the relationships forming, the inspiration being sparked, and all that cool stuff we were talking about before. Yeah. Very, very cool. Really uh, felt uh, grateful to be in the presence of so many cool people with so much good information being shared across the board. So yeah, really great event. Mm -hmm. Totally great. No, they're one of the few that actually true believers in the ethos mm -hmm. of crypto and decentralization. And they've been able to really build a community around them with uh, that share the same value. So really respect what they've done. Right on. Excited to do more with them, I think, in the future. For sure. Right. Should one more focus topic from FTNYC and then wrap yeah, it up? Let's do it. Yeah, I just thought that it was really fascinating to kind of see augmented reality coming strong. And I think that uh, it's really great. There's a, there's this recurring theme in augmented reality of it bringing people together. And we saw that in a really interesting way. We partnered with Soho Technique and a new app called WeDream and presented this really cool VIP event across five plus gallery spaces throughout Soho or everything cool is going on in New York. There was augmented reality art. And, you know, what was really cool about it is, again, it was an event and people could experience it together. It could be something that people share in a live moment and kind of have fun. I actually met a good friend of ours. I don't know if you guys, did you guys meet Lawrence's mother? <laughs> Lawrence's mother was there at the event. Oh, and was, no, that's so cool. But I met her several times. She's a wonderful woman. Nice. Yeah, I was able to actually, you know, demonstrate some of the augmented reality art. And it was such a wonderful moment, you know, connecting with her and, uh, you know, and that this type of thing, you know, really spans generations and, and, and different crowds and communities and everything like that. So, you know, something cool is bubbling up with augmented reality and also the way that it brings us together, especially, you know, post-COVID. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, NFT New York attracted a crowd of at least three times as many folks as the previous year. And a lot of people reunited with people they hadn't seen in a while, 
took stock of, of what has happened and what's next. You know, I also saw a lot of big brand use cases, Ethan, that were using augmented reality or gamifying their experiences around their brand. I didn't know that Ben & Jerry's is in the NFT world now. I didn't know that there's airlines that have lounges that are based on powered by NFTs. Or the guys at Sweet, one of the Animoca brand investments, have worked with 80 brands on a variety of like projects. IKEA is working on some NFT projects, guys. This is all sort of what I learned. And that was very encouraging. Just coming out of NFT LA just a few months ago, to now learn that so many brands that have been on the edge of potential adoption. And, and, and I, I look at AR just to bring it back as, as one of those great use cases for these brand experiences. I met a guy who's working on a shopping mall experience in, in Malaysia that is entirely based on uh, augmented reality um, shopping experience. And, and he was at our other event we did, the NFTC event. So so many cool things happening in the space and augmented reality is certainly one of them. Can't wait for uh, what Apple glasses or whoever comes up with something rad in the AR world. That's going to be the game changer. Yeah. To wrap this one up, I'll say, you know, we didn't mention it, but diversity was a key theme there. And we co-created a handful of events on those themes, you know, things featuring women, the Batty Summit, Southeast Asia in partnership with Engine. And just generally things that supported, you know, the off underrepresented creative classes, which is uh, really wonderful. So, yeah, looking forward to next and, and for us to have our inspiration for NFTLA 2023. And before we cross too far into the world of hangriness, Alan, uh, <laughs> let's folks know, man, where to go to follow you and everything that you're doing with Boba. Sure. You can find me on Twitter, Alan Chiu, A-L-A-N-C-H-I-U on Twitter. Boba, and of course, it's also on Twitter, Boba Network, B-O-B-A Network. Beautiful. And word on the street is we're going to do a little giveaway. Keep an eye on our socials for the details on that. To all of our listeners, we'll have something fun for you to share out there. All right. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thank you for exploring with us. We have space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.